cryptocurrency creates competition, cryptocurrency, we have the opportunity as the United States, you know, and Canada and other countries that are like-minded to be the global hub of innovation for the future of money. And Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies have created hegemony for the US dollar. So I'm a big believer in that we need to embrace this stuff because this is the future of all technology systems are gonna be built on top of blockchain. Hey, Daniel, welcome to Off The Ledger. How are you doing today? Doing good, brother. Good to see you. Awesome, man. Good to see you, too. I know we just spoke a few days ago, so it's uh, it's great to uh, touch base again. Um, you know, we talk and we've talked a number of things about business and stuff, but I understand you have quite a personal journey. You've gone through personal journey. Kind of, uh, I just heard a couple of pieces. I'd love to to hear a little bit about what you've accomplished because you're such a serial entrepreneur and, and I'd love to hear a little bit more. Well, I appreciate that. Where, where do you want me to start? <laughs> I'm going to open Well, let's, uh, let's start with the, uh, the, the age at, say, 17. I understand that's uh, been an interesting ride. Yeah, that was my, that was like the genesis moment for me as an adult. Um, I ran away from home and I had, you know, my parents were married, different people. I had step parents and Hated it so much, so much. And it, it got to the point where it was just like, you know what, it was the end of my junior year. And I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I packed all my stuff that I could fit in my Buick Regal. Uh, and then I don't remember what year it was, 91 or I don't remember, but I, I moved actually as an, I, when I did that was 95. Uh, and then I, I just took it. No, it was an 89 Buick Regal. And I just, I drove all the way from Dallas I drove straight through to Orange County, went as far west as I could, and um, I had some friends there. And I, I stopped in Las Cruces for like six hours to sleep at a rest stop. And I just, uh, I was like, all right, well, I'm here. And I figured it out. And I went to get a job at McDonald's, and I got a second job at Boston Market when that was actually a thing. And I still think they have great chicken. <laughs> uh, and... I worked two jobs and I, I had to quit high school uh, basketball because I couldn't I couldn't do all those things. And Orange County, as expensive as it is, even if, you know, you want to be in Santa Ana as a white boy in the barrio, you know, I couldn't afford that, you know, running to my car kind of thing. Um, so I would have because, you know, Santa Ana was known as being, you know, there's nice parts of Santa Ana, but there's there's some tough parts of Santa Ana. Um, so I just decided, you know what, the weather's pretty decent here. It's not like Chicago. Right. Pretty decent weather. I'm just going to sleep under the stars. So I, I, I slept in racquetball courts and um, I got woken up by the cops way too many times to, to remember. Uh, swimming, swimming pool areas uh, on the beach. I slept in football fields. What I figured out was there was not an area in Southern California that had grass that did not also have sprinklers that would wake me up at 6 a.m. So I had like a, a, a sleeping bag. I had an electric alarm clock. I had it all, the whole setup, right? Uh, and I, would, I got a gym membership. I was going to high school. So I was going to high school, used a friend's address. I didn't want help from anybody. I didn't want anybody's charity. I'm way too stubborn for that. And I was like, I'm not going to let anybody, you know, be, I'm not going to be their charity case. I'm going to make it on my own. So I worked my jobs. I went to school. I took my showers at the gym. I separated my clothes in my car and I made it happen. And when it rained, I slept in my car, which is hard for a six foot five guy, by the way, <laughs> you wake up and you're cramped and stuff. Um, 
but you were in a Buick. You were in a, you were in a Buick, so a little bit more t- more more space than say the Pinto. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a Honda Corolla. <laughs> I had more room, but um, but it was. But remember, I also had my clothes, and uh, so one day, one day, my boss finds out that I was living on my own, like, and not just living on my own, living had no home, and I'm going to work. Um, and this is when I got recruited to work at Blockbuster Video, young kid. And he helped me rent a room. And I remember his, his favorite joke. And it was made me laugh. Robert Taylor. And he was like, uh, he was like, hey, Daniel. He's like, do you have to pay like um, uh, car insurance or is that home rent? And I always thought that was so funny. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it would take something that was so tough. And he, and he, but he, he was very helpful because it wasn't about charity. He just helped me try to find a place I could stay. And then that got me going, right? So it's like, I was able to rent a room and I found a way of an economic model that made sense for me where I had a room to stay and I was barely ever there because I was always working, but at least I had a a roof over my head. And um, fast forward, I worked my way up the corporate ladder for, you know, many years in Fortune 500 companies. And there was, you know, I got promoted and promoted and promoted. There was never a job I didn't get promoted at because I will say this, and I always believe this for anybody. Look, working McDonald's sucks. All right. It's not a great job. They don't pay great. But whatever you do, do it with excellence all the time, no matter what. And I always took that mindset with me that it didn't matter that I was living in my car. It didn't matter that I wasn't getting paid much money. It didn't matter that, you know, nobody wants to work at McDonald's. Right. Like nobody's like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to work at McDonald's. But what you, whatever you decide to do, it's, a, it's an act of choice. So do it with with like. Um, do it with gusto and do it with pride. Do it with pride and, and be proud of yourself because nobody, by the other way, the other thing, like I'm way too stubborn because I don't care what other people think about me. So I, I, I'm not caught up in appearances and I'm not caught up in, um, you know, anything other than am I proud of what I'm doing and am I comfortable with my own self, right? Like that's the only thing that mattered to me then. It's the only thing that matters to me now. Uh, and so I think if, you know, if you're working at a job and you know that that job is not the permanent job, do it with excellence and then make your reality, your dreams become reality. And so over time, I got into a place where I was, you know, hiring people. I was going to college too after I graduated high school. And uh, and I and I got to a point where I was making a lot more money because I kept getting moving up the flagpole, right? And I kept climbing the corporate ladder. And then I just gave up on college because I like I can't work. I was working 100 hours a week because I put everything into it, everything. Uh, and I couldn't do that in school. And I was making a good income at that point. And I learned a skill set, and that skill set was operational knowledge. How do you hire people? How do you train people? How do you manage people? How do you manage a business? How do you make more money than you spend? How do you manage a PL? You know, all the things around managing a business, and those are important. That's an important skill set. So, whatever your skill set is, if you're an artist, if you're a technologist, if you're an, somebody who can manage operations, you're just great at customer service and people. Like all of those are skill sets. And I just applied my skill set, the thing I was good at, and I made that work for me. And I never had to look back. And then fast forward, fast forward, 20 years later, I basically get to a point where I, I didn't have to work for anybody else ever again. And hopefully I never do, because I love being my own boss. Uh, yeah. You know? And what took you what, what took you from the job side of things, like working for corporate bigger, bigger companies to being an entrepreneur. I mean, I, I, have always looked at it as different onsets, you know, different kind of skill sets, but also different mindsets. So what do you think took you from that position of working for people to being an entrepreneur? It is a different mindset. There is, it is true. Cause if you work in a corporate environment, you're getting a check and there's a mindset, like I'm going to go get a job. 
Not I'm going to go make my own job. There's a total different mindset. I'm going to go sell some lemonade because I'm going to make money because that's I'm all I got versus I'm going to go work at the lemonade stand. Very different mindsets. One is a lot of risk. The other is certainty. Okay. So I had, uh, I was a vice president at a very large company, 30 plus billion dollar uh, company. And I managed 50, $60 million in business. And uh, I had this little side thing that was passive that was making me double what my income was at my job. And it was just a side hustle, right? I didn't put any real actual time into it per se. It was something that started from my passion because my wife got pregnant and I needed a hobby. So I just, it was like a hobby. It was a hobby that paid me double my salary, double my income, not just a salary, salary plus bonus. So it, it was weird. Like I'm a guy who's very ambitious. I've always been ambitious, always been ambitious, right? Like shooting for the stars. And it, I had to think about like, well, what do I want my life to be? What do I want to do in my life? Because it's like, I don't need to work for the man anymore. I can do whatever I want. So once you get, once you kind of look at your, your, your life in that moment, you're like, well, what do I want to really actually do? And that's when I know my poor wife, you know, she left from Dallas and we went from Dallas to Detroit and Detroit to Chicago and we're in the Midwest and it's cold. It's not like where you are. You don't have to deal with the cold, but you know about cold, you know about cold. So um, I literally just said, Hey, we'll go everywhere, wherever you want to go because you know, you've done your tour of duty with me and now we can do whatever we want to do. Uh, and so we moved to Atlanta. Her dad was in Atlanta. Um, and it, you're right. It, the mindset of an entrepreneur is totally different because like fast forward. So everyone in Atlanta decided to start a blockchain company, right? There was no promise of anything. It was an idea. And two years, myself and my co-founder didn't take a salary. Two years, my wife is saying, well, is this thing really going to work out? Why don't you just go back to work for other people and blah, 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 right? And I was like, no, this is going to be a home run. This is going to do really well. And so meanwhile, not only are you struggling for yourself, you're also possibly taking your whole family with you for all the up and the downs. Because if it doesn't work out and, you're, and you strike out, <laughs> your family strikes out. Yeah, everybody else gets affected. hundred yeah. percent. There's a lot of financial pressures that not towards very stressful, extremely stressful. So uh, especially through crypto winter. But, you know, we basically made it through the gauntlet. We weren't funded by VCs. In total, we've only raised at our company on bank. 1.4, my favorite stat about my company, and there's a lot. We've raised a total of $1.4 million since inception, and we had over $9 million in revenues last year, and we already did that in the first five months of this year. We have a successful, profitable company that went from an idea to a product, from a product to a business, from a business to a business that was self-sustaining. And now we have 47 people on our team, started out with a couple. Um, and it was a lot of risk. It was a lot of hard work, but here we are, you know, and now it's, I mean, I think unbank.com is a multi-billion dollar company waiting to happen. And I get, you know, I wonder how much the, the idea that I get from you anyways, the sense of sort of uh, the desire and interest of supporting businesses and supporting other entrepreneurs, how much that plays into actually the success of your business. Right. It wasn't just about building something from, from from I get anyways from you is that you had a purpose and that was to support other people. So how much do you think the intention of like that purpose has to do with your accomplishment? Well, financially, their success is big thanks to our customers. Right. At the, at the we do both B2C and B2B2C. And so I think that what's 
got us in phases. You think about what Amazon started with versus what they are today, they're different, right? They started selling books and then now they're everything. Um, and so for us, the, the, the ability to sustain ourselves was built upon the relationship with the customer. But to your point, you know, we operate because we white label our technology. We're a Visa Fast Track Enablement Partner. We're very proud of that, creating effectively crypto debit cards. We're live in the US. We're about to be live in you know, all of Europe plus UK. We've already been approved for the UK. We're going to be live in Latin America. Um, we're 60 plus countries by the end of this year, plus bank accounts in 200 plus countries. We operate on a partnership model. And it's my nature anyway, like anybody that if other founders who regularly come to me and ask me for advice or help, I always try to help them. I give them advice on how to raise money, my opinion only, and here's what you could do. Here's what you should look at. I always try to, you know, just help people out just as like a, you know, be a good human. But on the business side of things, when somebody works with me, they're getting all of our years of expertise and this very complicated, you know, uh, it's, it's, you got the technology problem of how do you manage it, interconnected connectivity between crypto and traditional uh, legacy banking systems like bank accounts, debit cards, that's a skill set. How do you manage the compliance risk issues and make sure your regulatory structure is right? You got a regulated flow of funds and doing it right with our banking partners. That's something we do. We manage all that stuff turnkey. So, you know, when, when people hire us as a white label partner, they're looking at us, depending on their needs, we're, we were looking at it on a partnership model. And I want to make sure your business is successful. So, that I think is really going to be our phase two of what takes us from where we started as, uh, you know, it was Turnio now unbanked. Yeah. Your, your business model kind of shifted from quite a bit, right? From that yes. where you first started it. And that's what I think if that's the part to me that makes it sexy and exciting. I mean, it's already fun at the B2C level, but now to help not only help other companies build that infrastructure for what is the future of all money, in my opinion, I think that to me is something not very many people are doing, not that many companies are doing, and we really are doing it different. So I, I feel good about that. And I think that's going to be, that's a story that's going to um, pay dividends for us in, in the years to come. And, and the, I mean, I guess I'm familiar with Turnio, right? That's how I really, when we really first connected a few years ago, when you first started that, and then the unbanked, even the brand, the perception and the, the audience to me speaks differently than what Termio did. And it's a, it, uh, to me, I think it's a huge shift for you. Where do you see that going? Like what's the, where do you see it happening in the next 12 months to 24 months? Well, it's interesting. The name on banks I've come to find because we did a little bit of research on this and we are very proud of the brand we, we developed here. Um, it's just easier to understand than Ternio, right? What is Ternio? What's Blockheart? Um, it means different things to different people. So it's almost in a way, it's like a blank, um, like a blank uh, canvas for us to paint on. Because if you come from the payments world, which I know you do, you're an expert in this stuff, then you know banking payments or even politics, it typically the word unbanked usually is referencing or like FDIC has this big campaign around helping the unbanked, right? Help people who don't have bank accounts be banked. That's what it means to the traditional folks. And that still will continue to, I'm sure, exist for a while. But for me, it means something different. It's actually more about like our mission statement, which I'm very proud of, is uh, giving, we believe people should have access, and, we believe that access and control of financial assets is a fundamental human right, right? And, and I really believe that. So the concept of unbanked is more about, you have the choice, even people like myself or you who have bank accounts, we have credit cards, we have mortgages, we have access to capital and lending and borrowing and all these other things. We have the choice 
to decide whether or not we want to be our own bank or whether or not those banks are going to compete for our business. That to me is happening no matter what. It's already happening. Because cryptocurrency, whether you're dealing in Bitcoin or digital dollars, cryptocurrency changes the dynamic around having to have a bank for those services. It doesn't change the regulatory requirements. It doesn't mean you can't do KYC. It just means if I, and a lot of people in Latin America, a lot of people in parts of Africa and parts of the world, we're kind of, you know, we're like, we live in a little bit of a, a, a bubble. You know, even even the, the poor in the United States, right, which certainly exists, they, we live in a bubble because we can at least count on rock solid financial institutions, FDIC insured. Whereas other people around the world, their money is just, it's hyperinflation or their money would be taken out of the bank and it's gone. So is, is unbanked uh, a DeFi product? Like is it decentralized or is it centralized? Well, unbanked is centralized, but we're connecting DeFi and cryptocurrency to traditional products. So our core, nice. our core mission really is about using blockchain technology to make things better, cheaper, faster. And I will say the concept of us, of what we think of today as the unbanked, the unbanked underbank, I think that the concept of that is going to simply just not exist because if everybody's getting paid in digital money and you have the ability to now custody your own funds on your own wallet, then you are your own bank. And that concept becomes non, it becomes non-controversial and it's just a matter of I have my own wallet and everyone will have their own wallet. And I, I believe that's the future of all money. Yeah, I look at it. Um, I'm not sure how you're familiar are with like uh, the Philippines, right? Philippines, almost 20 years ago, they allowed banking on your cell phone, right? So each person had their own cell phone. They may not have had a bank account, but they had credit. They had value on their cell phone that they can go and pay a retailer or Absolutely. they could transfer money to their aunt or their family who was in another city, which technically they couldn't get to. They just couldn't even afford to get to the other city. But if they sent $5 for their bag of rice or whatever, because that's what they earned, it was their bank. Like technically in our terms of holding your funds, it was the telco that was actually doing that, that was providing that service. Most likely they didn't have a bank account and most likely they didn't have a credit card because really credit cards kind of skipped the Philippines. And, I, and you see that similar in MTN and uh, the, the telephone network in Africa, the you see a lot of in the developing regions and markets. So I've always looked at unbanked as like, it's a choice. I don't need a bank account. That's right. Because I have a crypto wallet and I can use my crypto to make a payment, but I need a bank, like the technical say a need, I need a bank account if I'm going to play with the traditional financial markets in the certain, in the certain industries, because I can't use my telephone, telephone to make a payment yet in certain places because you're limited to certain, it's almost like a limitation, right? That banking side of it. And unbanked means, hey, I can still do everything, but I don't need to have a bank account. Well, that's right. And whether it's Philippines or whether it's, you know, India or M-Pesa with Safaricom and, and uh, Africa, which is the biggest mobile you know, payment system. Um, Mexico is big on, uh, it's Carlos Slim owns free telecoms and he owns banks. So he integrated the bank into the telephone and, and you don't think you have a bank account, but you do. So that is, that's working across the world People, even in the poorest areas, typically have phones. And if you can do those payments, which is shown in many use cases across the world, that, that solves real world problems. The, the only difference with cryptocurrency is the difference is what you just talked about was like a closed loop system where the telecom own, controls you, your money, which, is, which works and it's fine. Um, and it's regulated and all of that. Um, or 
crypto is just an open loop system that allows you to connect to global connectivity. So like Brazil has a system that's going to be not too dissimilar. It's mandated. Um, I don't know if it's live yet, but they were mandating this thing called PIX. You heard about this, PIX? No. So PIX is this thing where everyone is required, any hotel, business, you're required to pay in this digital Brazilian real, and you're also required to receive it. So you have to be able to accept it. So if you're in a hotel, you have to accept it. It's all mobile money. So that's fine, and it works just fine. It's not on the blockchain. But the problem is it's a little bit like um, the regionality of telecom. If you're using your telephone, uh, your mobile phone in the U.S., you're fine, right? You go anywhere in the U.S., depending on the network, you're fine. You go into Mexico across the border into Canada, it changes. Everything's on different networks. So PIX is fine, but now you've got to create interoperability between their system and a global system, whereas with crypto, it's just a global system. So it allows for, I think, a lot a sexier, more efficient way to have connectivity between people around the world. It's just about having a new technology rail that makes things better, cheaper, faster. Sounds like an incredible opportunity for those uh, those two companies that interconnect all the telco companies around the world. It actually does, doesn't it? <laughs> and, you know, we want to play in that. Like, eventually, um, once again, I think companies have to fight for the business. What's great about cryptocurrency is that it's money and software. It means it's going to create competition in the marketplace. And I'm a firm believer in competition in the marketplace. People use the word capitalism all the time. And I think it's really like a lazy uh, uh, ideology to talk about if you're talking about it generically as, well, I support capitalism. What form of capitalism? Because there's a lot of bad forms of capitalism we've seen. Plenty of, there's plenty of fraud and, and crony capitalism that exists, and you have monopolies. And by the way, you know Adam Smith wrote that monop or, or capitalism tends to go towards monopolies. We've seen that over and over again. It always ends up going toward monopoly. So capitalism stops functioning when you get into a duopoly-monopoly scenario. I mean, it functions, but it basically becomes like You've got big companies that control pretty much important resources and processes and systems, and everybody else has to pay out the, you know, out the yin-yang for it, as opposed to having a competitive environment. The more competition in the marketplace that you have, it forces competition. It's good for companies because they have to innovate. It's good for consumers because they're constantly being able to have more options, more choice. So when I hear the discussion happening in DC around cryptocurrencies and this animosity that I sometimes see, this sort of hard edge about cryptocurrency, and it's only viewed it from the prism of money laundering, which is incredibly crazy to me, because it happens just like bank robbers use cars to rob banks. But we don't, you know, we don't like stop people from having cars. <laughs> we don't stop selling cars because there's bank robbers use cars. Like it happens, but if you know, like money laundering happens way more in the banking system and real estate, in jewelry and art and other things than it ever is going to happen in cryptocurrency, in my opinion. So. Cryptocurrency creates competition. Cryptocurrency, we have the opportunity as the United States, you know, and Canada and other countries that are like-minded to be the global hub of innovation for the future of money. And Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies have created hegemony for the U.S. dollar. It's actually been the best thing that ever happened to U.S. monetary policy while we're printing money. We're printing money. And it's all because like we have a weird reserve currency and, and in crypto, there is no alternative. There's the dollar. There's the dollar in Bitcoin. There's the dollar in Ethereum. You don't, you know, not very many people have the Canadian digital dollar or the European digital dollar. It exists, but it, it, it's so like non-influential. So I'm a big believer in that we need to embrace this stuff because this is the future of all technology systems are going to be built on top of blockchain. Yeah, I agree. 
Well, clearly COVID and the pandemic stuff has had some major effects too. What do you, what's your opinion on um, the effect of it? Like how much has it impacted us to move people towards using DeFi, crypto, you know, is it open our minds? Is it changing stuff because everybody's like, Hey, I don't want to touch cash anymore. What's, what's your opinion? It's a twofer in my opinion, because part one is, um, it accelerated the trend towards digital banking that we already saw happening with or without cryptocurrency. There were more, there were fewer and fewer banks opening and more and more banks closing, physical bricks and mortar, right? And it's already a consolidated industry. I mean, you got five banks controlling like 80% of, uh, of the banking industry within the US, right? So people were already trending towards digital and that opened up a doorway into digital as crypto. So it opened up a doorway. But the second thing, that really kind of what made COVID popped off is when COVID killed industry because everything shut down. So everybody became socialist then. And I, and I still believe that to, to this day. People talk bad about socialism, which by the way, it's never worked in the history of man, just for the record, never worked in the history of man, socialism. But, but we conflate what socialism really is. And so what was happening was we're basically giving this free money to everybody, right? It's like Oprah, you get a car and you get a car and you get a car because we needed to sustain Otherwise, we'd go into a full-blown depression. So the, the monetary policy was aggressive, and that meant everybody got free money. That's what happened, because otherwise, people were going to be dying in the streets. And we shouldn't have you know, a, a system where we would allow, in this, in this day and age, to allow people to just literally become homeless over something that was not due to them. It was due to a global pandemic. So now you have all this new money. Well, the, the way monetary systems work is the money has to go somewhere. They printed trillions of dollars. Trillions. So that's where you have, and it's been proven, money went in at $1,200 in the US, and then all of a sudden you have all these constant $1,200 purchases of stocks on Robinhood, and there are $1,200 buys, $1,200 in, in, in investment, right? Because they were taking their money from whatever money they got, and not everybody had a problem. Some people just thought of that as extra money. The money has to go somewhere, and what always happens is it's always gonna inflate asset prices. Every time the Fed starts printing money, it creates asset bubbles. So we had Apple, Tesla, you know, now Apple's a $2 trillion company. You know, like, I'm not saying they're not worth it. I'm just saying COVID necessitated that through Fed monetary policy. Cryptocurrency like Bitcoin blew up because the money had to go somewhere and it ended up in crypto. So that created a lot of FOMO, that created a lot of excitement. And that leads to where we get into things where you want to spend your cryptocurrency or you want that in, you know that on off ramp into cryptocurrency that's what built big 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 companies in a, in overnight where companies would go from hundreds of millions of dollars in assets to billions and billions of dollars because fed policy drove uh, effectively crypto people who complain about uh, fed policy in the crypto world it's funny to me because it's actually crypto's best friend the fact is that your, the Fed policy continues to print money, right? the money printer go burr, that's like that, that meme, and crypto benefits from that. So I would embrace them continue to do whatever the hell they're doing to sustain the economy, because all that's going to happen is crypto prices will continue to, to uh, increase. If you have a lot of crypto, you're going to be the beneficiary. And if you don't have crypto, then the meme goes, have fun being poor. And, and so what are your views on regulation? I mean, obviously, I, I feel similar ways. Like, I think that regulation is actually super supportive and, and helps us as a business or, or as a group of people operating in the industry. Look, I've always been, I'm a, I'm a liberal guy, and I've always been very pro-regulation. I don't like the idea. It's like, I, you know, I'm, I, I do the lazy argument of, 
you don't like regulations, go check out Somalia. How's that working out? You know, it's like, that's my favorite argument against, you know, not having regulations. But, but it, here's the thing. I'm for regulations, but they have got to be smart. And we are not always smart. And what happens is unintended consequences. So if you have a conservative mindset around, you know, how should we manage uh, with regulations? The truth is, you do have unintended, un, unintended consequences. You do have people writing laws that don't have, that don't know anything. They don't know shit about this technology. You have some people who do, and you have a lot of people who don't. So you have a nascent industry that is really, you know, we have the opportunity. This is, in my opinion, the future. This is the technology stack of the future, right? Blockchain technology. You have the opportunity to build the next Amazons, the next Facebooks, the next everything here in North America, in the United States, and even Canada. But we can't do that if we don't have smart policies. And what we, one of the best things we did with the internet, we had a very light touch on the internet. It was very much unregulated for a long time. And then we started to see some things where like Napster, and it became a real problem for intellectual property. And they regulated that. They, they had, they put certain rules of the road and they didn't just in the, in the you know, late at night, put it in some 4,000 plus page bill with, you know, a couple of pages. They really thought it out. It went through committee. It was debated in an open, in an open discussion. You hash it out, you hash it out. It was the discussion. Smart policy was created and, and, and regulations are the underpinning of trillion dollar industries, but we've got to be careful with things like DeFi, right? We've got to not break something that's still so early. We can't ask for DeFi, uh, you know, technology to be held to the same uh, standard as centralized exchanges like a Binance or like a Coinbase or, you know, like my company. And then what we should do is just to pay attention and because all that information is public, by the way, so government bodies and, you know, FBI and others, they use today, they use existing source of funds tracking. They can identify a lot of stuff. It's all public. And they've got very, you know, they've yeah. got great tools today. This isn't the future. This is today. So that money has to go somewhere and it flows through on the blockchain. If there's some bad, you know, nefarious stuff, you know, government uh, bodies have the ability to, you know, and, and, you know, enforcement agencies have the ability to track this stuff and do it the way they need to. And then if we start to identify some stuff in DeFi, which is really just peer-to-peer, -peer, it's all it is. It's Daniel to Jason. And except for I don't have to know you to do a transaction, we don't want to break that. Because when you're cutting out unnecessary intermediaries, you are creating an environment for better, cheaper, faster. And we must be mindful of the difference between the concept of consumer protections, which are very important, versus consumer rights. And I don't think we're remembering, we're forgetting about consumer rights. I'm an American and it's supposed to be a democracy built on the concept of liberty and freedom and all of that. If I can't control my own money because somebody wants to determine what I can and can't do under the law, that's a problem for me. And I do think we need to step back and have that discussion, that debate in a free society to say, what are the expectations? What are the guardrails? How do we protect privacy? How do we make sure people are able to do the things they want to do as long as they're not violating the law. And a peer-to-peer -peer transaction is the closest thing you can have to an efficient transaction in commerce. It creates competition. And I think we should be supporting that, not, not trying to kill it. That it brings up an interesting question about CBDCs. I'm all for it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because ultimately with the CBDC, you get in a position that the central bank will then control that currency so 
unlike Bitcoin or other, other crypto that may be in your own control or decentralized in a CBDC, it's much more of that control situation. So I wonder, it, it begs the question, and lots of people have brought this up to me in inner conversations is, is CBDCs empowering people or does it empowering the control of people's money? It's a great so, question. It empowers people. And here's why. If you're one of those people who's worried about, and a lot of people are, right? I mean, you can be a totally lawful citizen and still not trust whether or not the government, whatever government that could be, the USA, Canada, or wherever, you choose what you want to do. Here's my point of view on that is more choices, the better. If we're going to issue a government-issued currency, which we should do, because all it is, it's the same monetary policy as we have today. It's just on an open rail. And if that technology allows the government to freeze your assets like you could do with the Stellar Network today, and like you could do with the bank account, I'm, I don't have a problem with that. But if people don't like that and they don't trust that, guess what? There are other cryptocurrencies you can be in. There are other solutions, Ethereum, Bitcoin, digital dollars that are not the official CBDC. So my point of view is it's like competition in the marketplace. If, if nor, you know, a normal person who doesn't worry about like we have an everyday, you know, every day where you go to the bank, your bank could get frozen if you wanted today. If you're worried about that and you just believe in privacy and that's important to you, you have other options and you should continue to have those options as long as what we don't want to do, because this would be to me unacceptable. The concept of prohibition, we passed prohibition in the, in the late 19 uh, teens, right? for a decade where you couldn't, it was illegal to buy alcohol. It was illegal. Now, it was illegal to sell alcohol. Technically, if you bought it, it wasn't a crime, it was a crime if you sold it. We did the same thing with the war on drugs where we put all these people in, in uh, jail. Most of the time, probably better chance to go to jail depending on your skin tone, you know? Um, so the darker the hue, maybe the more chance you actually went to jail anyway. And we ended up having this war on drugs with prohibition and it didn't work. The concept of criminalizing something that should be a free behavior, which is the core of freedom and liberty of me being able to control my own money, which I think every American, every Canadian, every Chinese you know, citizen should have the ability to do. As a society that is governed, we, you know, we're governed by people we elect into office and in this democracy, I cannot, I can't accept the concept that we would criminalize people choosing to own Bitcoin or choosing to own Ethereum, that to me is unacceptable. And I hope we never get to a point to where we even go. And I, I, can't, I hope we never go down anywhere close to that. It means to be a free, open society where you choose to use TBDC, you choose to use uh, gold, you choose to use Bitcoin. You know what? You do whatever you want. And if it's against the law, we're going to catch you because guess what? We spend a lot of money on government agencies to catch the bad guys. Yeah. Daniel, I've uh, loved your insights and uh, and your chat. I always do, and I really appreciate everything you're doing for the the community, entrepreneurs. Because I know you also support a lot of entrepreneurs and give great insights and stuff. So I appreciate our time today. Love to follow up again. I know we talk quite often, anyways. So uh, looking forward to doing some business with you too, and hopefully we can do some uh, banking together. My brother, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> All right, Daniel. Thank you so much, man. Okay. Talk thanks. to you soon. All right, everybody, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining the Off The Ledger podcast today. Remember to uh, listen to the newest podcast wherever you regularly listen to podcasts. Thank you very much. Have a great day.